Welcome, everybody, to the 15th fabulous episode of the Metabolist 2 podcast with myself, Ben. And David. Hey. So we got a great topic tonight. Oh, it's the best. <laughs> <laughs> and, and what is it, David? What is our topic tonight? Well, we <laughs> are going to look at horror, horror in Who up to... Horror. Hinchcliffe and Holmes. What kind of what was the groundwork? How horrible was it for the Hinchcliffe and Holmes to? Yeah, because everyone, you know, that's that's generally what when people say Hinchcliffe and Holmes, they hear horror. Yeah, yeah. But horror was part of Doctor Who long before. Oh goodness, Hinchcliffe and Holmes. Yeah, and um, so now there's actually a lot. There's a lot of ground to cover because we're not mm-hmm. only doing the first. <laughs> <laughs> We're doing the first three Doctors. That's quite a long time. That's at least mm-hmm. 10 years, if not 11, if not 11 years. Mm-hmm. And we may not, we may not get it all tonight. We'll yeah. see. We'll see. Yeah, we might, we might need to divide it up in a couple episodes. We'll see how it goes. So do we want to start? Who do we want to start with? Like a, an overview or do you want to go doctor by doctor? I mean, I think... What do, what do we mean by horror? Because it's we certainly... I, horror, at least in the latter part of the 20th century, early part of... The 21st century kind of merged with gore and slasher type thing and we're yeah, not yeah, yeah, and yeah. that's definitely not part of doctor who torchwood maybe but not doctor who no no well doctor who is all well okay one doctor who's always been for kids mm-hmm. uh in my opinion and mm-hmm. i think in the opinion of most of the people who who've made the show it's basically it's essentially for kids mm-hmm. but it has it is adult enough to entertain adults at the same time and mm-hmm. you know it's, yeah. it's it's always been a thrilling show mm-hmm. and the tradition that i think is carried over from the kind of cinematic serials i the tradition of the cliffhanger mm-hmm. requires an element of thrill you know you, right. the, the cliffhanger happens every week we may, may be able to d- dig deeper into this because Obviously, David and I have slightly different experiences in terms of first encountering who me as a really quite a young, you know, as a child, basically. Mm-hmm. David perhaps more as a teenager. And certainly when I was watching it as a kid, yeah. you, you, you watch this show only once. And uh, at the end of each episode, it was like, bloody hell. <laughs> you had that, a week. <laughs> that just happened. I've got to wait a week until I see what, like, what the resolution of that thing is. Right, and I just had... In the worst case scenario, I had to wait a weekend. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and that was that really. And again, you know, as much as I, uh, now we're kind of, of course talking about what we said we wouldn't talk about. Mm-hmm. But I mean, I think the best example of that is, as much as I dislike Mary Whitehouse as a figure, she was entirely correct when she criticised the Deadly Assassin when the the famous drowning mm-hmm. cliffhanger. I think it's the end of episode three of that serial, which is a Hinchcliffe Holmes uh, serial. Uh, where, you know, the doctor was being drowned for a week mm-hmm. um, because, you know, you see him go into the water. He's under the water. He's, he's, he's scrabbling for breath. That lasts an entire week until you find out mm-hmm. that he hasn't actually been drowned. Do you think then horror must be relatable to the audience? And for the audience being kids up through probably their tween teen years, does the horror have to be relatable in some way? I think when it has worked the best, it, it has actually been, it, it is, it is relatable. Mm-hmm. I don't want to endlessly quote and re-quote <laughs> uh, Sir John Pertwee, but, you know, it's Yeti on the Lewin tooting Beck, and mm-hmm. that was his kind of catchphrase for mm-hmm. 
things that are horrifying and just rewinding back to my childhood I can remember finding uh, being absolutely horrified playing in the garden the yard as you would call it mm -hmm. um, of my parents house and digging up the giant you know great big fat beetle larvae right kind of wiggling white worms like ah, it's ma it's the maggots it's Ooh. the maggots from Doctor Who um, you know can these mm -hmm. were things that one encountered in one's I encountered in my everyday life, life. you know the, the, uh, it's a maggot mm -hmm. and now they're giant you know right. and so it's, it's it is absolutely right. relatable in that way, and it is therefore more more horrifying mm -hmm. in my in my opinion. Right. The use of horror then in Doctor Who is often used to kind of get butts in the seat, so to get people to turn in next week to see what happens with their heroes. Yeah, and I think it also um, certainly when I was a kid and relating to to other kids, sadly sadly in many ways um sadly i uh, went to a succession of single sex schools so when i talk about children i i unfortunately i can only talk about boys because those were the only people that i actually ever spent time with um i do have a sister who was also right. i think equally enraptured by who she's obviously not not as much as a fan obviously she's not as much as a fan as i am nowadays um, but i i mean we, we certainly watched it together but anyway one of the of the things that made I think who so compelling to us as as boys is that it seemed to us to be a, an adult show. The level mm. of danger and horror that our heroes found themselves in, and this is primarily the Pertwee era, the later part of the Pertwee era that I'm talking about, which mm -hmm. is when I re which, when I first started watching the show, seemed to us to be incredibly adult, mm -hmm. and uh, certainly watching the reactions of my parents to certain events in in who where they were like oh uh, you know I, I remember seeing you know maybe our kids shouldn't be watching this made it all the more desirable to watch it because it seemed to be like an adult show the other thing i think to say also mm -hmm. is that it was an adventure show in a way that um with effects that in some ways was really only presented to us i'm trying to think of other other examples um the only other real examples of this kind of show were american shows so you know star trek etc okay or, you know um the land of giants or that one where they're under the sea blah 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 time tunnel and uh, you know those those shows were fun and i liked them but they weren't very relatable because they were americans it's like okay they're americans of course all that stuff happens in america because <laughs> america's like this crazy country on the other side of the world where mm -hmm. they speak funny it's the Wild West. <laughs> yes, that's, yeah, exactly. What, again, made Who so incredibly relatable, again, perhaps especially during the Pertwee years, is that this is all happening right here where I live. Earthbound familiar, right? Yeah, absolutely familiar. And I think we've already talked about this, how one of the genius aspects of maybe more the, the, the early Baker era is that, and I think this very much speaks to... Um, how Russell T. Davis approached who in, in, in the reboot is that the the what was happening on the screen was essentially the same kind of play that we would do in our backyards or in the playground in the schoolyard at school. You know, my sister and I would play in the same quarries 
that Doctor Who was filmed in, and we would be the Doctor and Sarah Jane right. in the same way that the Doctor and Sarah Jane were being the Doctor and Sarah Jane in exactly the same environments. Mm -hmm. So, you know, this all made... So, again, the kind of horror element and the scare element made it incredibly rateable because it was just like the way that we experience things in, in kind of every everyday life. So, you know, the autumn... All the fuss about the police and the Orton doll coming to life in Terror of the Ordens. It was entire, right. you know, this is, yeah, policemen. So do you think, so being relatable, then maybe then the horror is a metaphor or a way of examining greater societal fears that were contemporary with the time of broadcast. So there's this underlying theme in the 1960s, Doctor Who, of this uh, anti-technology yep, you know, kind of yep. coming to manifest in the war machines and the invasion yeah. of not liking computers yep, yep, yep. and and of, of, of a distrust or this the whole idea of the Cybermen which were invented just for the whole body horror of replaceable artificial hearts, artificial limbs and would what would this do yep. for our humanity? Yeah. This just general uh, horror is kind of a manifestation of the greater fears that are going on contemporarily with the program yeah and i think well i think one of the things you always have to look at i think you always have to understand and i think it's you know it's often hard to do with a show like who which is so dense and it's kind of you know constructions and in it's canon um is this all this material is written by somebody right and you can look at the middle-aged basically middle-aged white middle oh, they're all white middle class they're all middle class men they're all men right. who are writing who in the 60s mm -hmm. of course computers will seem threatening to them you know i mean why <laughs> wouldn't they um, you know right. of course nazi surrogates like the daleks would seem threatening because they'd all fought, if they hadn't all directly fought right. in the war then they would have been affected by the war so all of these things are incredibly uh, relevant to 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 that kind of person. Well, we can just look at the second serial, the Daleks. Absolutely. It's a post-nuclear Armageddon scenario and what happens to the survivors. Absolutely. And you look at the early 60s, the beginning of CND in the United Kingdom, um, very, very prescient. And I think, you know, even when you kind of mm -hmm. scroll forward to the later 60s and you look at Hazeman and Lincoln's, if you look at the Dominators... Or, uh, or, or actually, actually, even before that, uh, a series that I haven't really spent a lot of time spending time with because it's it's really hard to do, which is the Savages. She's very kind of an explicitly kind of anti hippie. These people are just kind of they're not fighting; they're just kind of hanging around. Right. Well, Hazeman and Lincoln are very conservative, very reactionary. Exactly. Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. You know, why don't these people fight? And again, you look at the, the Daleks and the Dalek invasion mm -hmm. of Earth. You know, the the Doctor and um, and his companions are the people who arrive who you know, teach people how to fight. They teach people how to, how, how to fight right. back. They make them stop being mm -hmm. hippies and start being fighters. So in a way, going back to one of our earlier topics, maybe Doctor Who isn't quite as liberal as we think. It seems to be more of a conservative establishment type program. Yeah, and I think, I mean, I think it gives the lie to kind of, you know, a kind of certainly an American-style liberal conservative dichotomy. I think the writers of Doctor Who, certainly in the 60s, were, mm -hmm. I said, middle-class white men who were mm -hmm. naturally and middle-aged were naturally reactionary you know they right. were not in favor of change <laughs> the uh, empire was crumbling <laughs> ex ex exactly 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 and then you know if you move forward in the 70s then you'll see just you know slightly more of a critique coming in and i think especially with barry letts and who you know was very 
religiously committed in a in a in a actually a very odd direction right. to, towards Buddhism, and you get environmental concerns and concerns about the empire, all of which mm-hmm. I think is beautifully leavened by Terence Dix, who's another incredibly you know reactionary you know early <laughs> very much so yes early middle aged man. And when mm-hmm. we get when we go on to talk about Hinchcliffe and Holmes, you know, I mean, obviously Bob Holmes, you know, he was a policeman originally. I mean, you can't get a lot more you know, reactionary and <laughs> potentially conservative than being a cop. Right. Can be very cynical after several years on the force. Exactly, exactly. Um, so, so, so I mean, just, I mean, just to give, this, this is always my favorite example about how to look at, how to understand where 60s who came from, which mm-hmm. is the, um, uh, the mind robber. So we go to the land of fiction, and who are the fictional characters that we encounter? You know, it's fictional characters that you know, the children haven't really read or been interested in since, you know, the 1920s. Mm-hmm. Like Gulliver, you know, I mean... Uh, it was the childhood of the writers. It was the childhood of the writers, exactly. And when they attempt mm-hmm. to do a superhero, it's like, that's really bad. You know what a superhero is like? <laughs> well, that's, that's, anyway, good. So, that's yeah. going to be a taste for Dr. Mysterio this fall. <laughs> Dr. Mysterio. The carcass. If, they've ca- <laughs> if the carcass does not make an appearance, I will be very, very angry. Oh, sorry, back to horror. So, I mean, yeah, I mean, so I mean just... how does I mean how does that work for you? Because I think what's interesting again, certainly looking at sixties, who I've only watched those shows since in the last twenty years or so when they mm-hmm. come out on video. I experienced them primarily as written texts in right. the you know late seventies, early early eighties. Well, again, you know, the written text was able to heighten a lot of the horror. I mean, Malcolm Hulk's treatment of. Um, uh, you know, the characters in Doctor and the Cave Monsters, his adaptation mm-hmm. of the Silurians and the interior monologues of those characters mm-hmm. as they were dying. And their minds went blank as, the, you know, their heads got eaten by a Tyrannosaurus or p- people getting dissolved in pools of acid in, in mm-hmm. the web planet. I've got a very, very strong, horrific reaction to that, which, you know, mm-hmm. certainly when you, when you watch the web, web planet, and I love the web planet, it's brilliant, mm-hmm. but it's not particularly horrific on screen, I'll have to say. Right. Well, you can't watch the web planet in one go. It, you you lose you lose a lot. It's because absolutely. of the pacing. Yeah, so it, yeah. with a with a novelized version, it's more of a page turner to begin with. Right. 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 Sitting down and watching a web planet, saying you're going to watch all the episodes back to back, it 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 becomes a slog. But if you watch it yeah. correctly, one a week, it becomes a much more digestible, enjoyable program. So. Absolutely. Absolutely. Just looking back at horror, since uh, from my perspective, I encountered Doctor Who, at least 60s Doctor Who, both through the Target novelizations, but also through reruns, effectively, on uh, public television. Right. And they were being broadcast late at night in omnibus format. And the idea of horror, even after watching Holmes and Hinchcliffe on a loop, I never really equated it with horror. It wasn't until reading other writers in fandom or just listening to general critique of the era, I didn't place it in horror. To me, this was just science science fiction, science fantasy, mm-hmm. and these were exciting serials, not necessary horror. Horror to me was things like Poltergeist or Nightmare or Elm Street and right. those type of... 1980s 1970s horror films like rosemary's baby of the you know late late 60s so the idea that who had horror it just didn't mesh 
because <laughs> the horror that is in place is more uh, juvenile. It's more right. It's it's not even of a goosebumps level, which was popular uh, for teens in the early 2000s late 1990s so i think the concept of horror for uh, at least an american audience or at least from my viewing perspective is really tied in with gore and we don't really see gore in doctor who and the production team gets their wrist slap with even just foam gore with the death of the cyber leader in like tomb of the cybermen with the pumping of the foam that was seen as too horrific yeah 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 and i think uh, yeah and i think you know i mean unfortunately we'd we'd probably have to be better cultural theorists than we both are to kind of (laughs) fully pass out the difference between horror and the disgust um, and right. I think, as far as I understand, you know, you, 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 of, 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 which, which is essentially what is horrifying about gore, is mm-hmm. is, a, is a kind of disgust element. Which right. uh, certainly, I mean, I think to me, you know, if you look at something like, I mean, one of my very favourites, which of course is, is the Green Death. I mean, that's mm-hmm. you know, that's full bore disgust. Right. I mean, it's not gory, but it is disgusting. Well, I think disgust is a part of horror. I think horror is used to frighten, to, like to scare, to startle, and to disgust, and mm. to induce the sense of dread or terror that get the kids behind the sofa, have them looking through their fingers, you know, that kind of cringeworthiness of trying to spook and frighten. Yeah. So that's where the horror is. It's a suggestion. It gets your mind racing of what if, what, what is that shadow? What is that noise? What is that monster? So that's why the initial scene of the Dalek plunger yep. was so scary is yep. what could be menacing Barbara for her to be reacting in that manner yeah. with effectively a plunger, something that would be familiar to people living in a house. <laughs> <laughs> Though I'll have to say, maybe it was the excellence of my parents' plumbing, but we didn't have a toilet plunger. Oh. <laughs> I've only really encountered mm. the plunger as a thing you use re- regularly since I've been living in America. <laughs> well, we, um, we, don't, we don't have good plumbing here. <laughs> um, I, mean, I, I mean, I have no idea. Again, my, 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 both my mm-hmm. parents were architects, so maybe we had some right. plumbing in our house. But you know, the plunger is actually something that I actually... I have a completely, sorry, going off on a tangent here, but I have a completely different reaction to whenever I see a toilet plunger, I think, oh, bloody hell, someone's left a Dalek in here. Um, <laughs> when I, whenever I see a Dalek, I don't think toilet plunger. Um, okay. Whenever I see toilet plunger, I always think Dalek. You've been effectively... Uh... I've been reverse conditioned. <laughs> yes. Yeah, yeah. But the... <laughs> sorry, going off, going off on a tangent. <laughs> the, the, no, that's all right. The, the series has been using horror tropes i think from the get-go because even from the end of unearthly child the next scene next week is the cave of skulls and if you just take that title that doesn't sound scary right yeah it's a a horror title and then then the week after is the forest of fear and these would be type of hammer movie titles that would be in in a serial I, th- I think you're kind of hitting the nail squarely on the head there. Um, I've just had a short Hammer binge quite recently. I've watched a series of Hammer movies, mm-hmm. including you know what I think is ostensibly the very, very last 
Hammer movie, um, which is To the Devil a Daughter with Christopher Lee and uh, Natasha Kinski and a bunch of other cool actors because all Hammer movies are amazing. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, again, listen to the commentary on that movie and watching one of, one of the documentaries, you know, it was the, the, the Hammer, you know, over and above the... Um, the financial problems at the studio to do with the British economy being in the crapper as usual. <laughs> Hammer were kind of lost, you know, they weren't able to compete with American horror because they were stuck in a, again, I mean, we'll have to think about the kind of white, middle-class, male writers that they, that they were using, right. the same writers, you know, who were writing for Doctor Who, right. who were stuck in a kind of 1920s, 1930s primacy of the imagination mm-hmm. in terms of creating horror. Now, again, you know, we can be we can be very, you know, pious and talk about how, you know, it's, it's always better to kind of suggest horror, blah, 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 than, mm-hmm. um, than show it, which is, of course... Well, that's, what, what, that's what, why what, horror what, worked... What, Horror worked very well on BBC Radio in exactly. the 70s. Exactly, exactly. I mean, I think, you know, and again, one can argue the toss on this one, but I think one of the things that, of course, American filmmakers were kind of geniusly discovered that actually, you know, it works a lot better if you just, like, you know, chuck a bucket, of, you know, you just chuck a bu- bucket of blood at everybody and have everyone screaming and running around with their, with their mm-hmm. limbs hanging off. That's also horrible. Right, and but, so you but know, it's, which it's, kind of beats Hammer and Doctor Who mm-hmm. and like the whole, you know, and then we end up with any other kind of cinema that we have nowadays. Right, it's but it's it's talking about being reactionary. <laughs> I guess I really, I mean, if we're looking at horror, is horror gore? Yeah, or is is what we're cons- what we call horror movies now horrific movies? More, yeah. Just because something's creepy and spooky, of course, yeah. doesn't make it horror. But just yeah. because something's gory. It doesn't necessarily make it a horror film. It may just make it repulsive. Absolutely. And I think, you know, when one looks at one's favorite horror movies, i.e. the movies that are most horrifying and most disturbing, Mm -hmm. they are by and large movies that are able to balance judicious application of pain and gore with imaginary horror. Mm -hmm. So I just went to see this movie with my daughter, my 14-year-old daughter, uh, Genevieve, called Don't Breathe, which is um, a really good kind of shock of survival horror movie hmm. where uh, a group of kind of young burglars burgle the wrong house. Mm-hmm. Um, very, very little gore, but really quite, really quite disturbing mm-hmm. and and frightening because you, you're, you're, you're having to imagine everything. Right. So again, when you think of the best, the, the most effective horror movies suggestion is is still very important i think i think who did very well with suggestion especially mm-hmm. since if you can imagine 60s who 60s and early 70s who being primarily aimed at children who are mm-hmm. you know, really quite suggestible there's use of horror but is there anything that would that would you consider a horror story in the first year of doctor who we've using bits of it like the haunted house and edge of destruction Right. Um, you know, you have the whole idea of human sacrifice, which is a horror trope in the Aztecs. Yeah. Uh, you know, is there anything that's other? I mean, I, I, I lo- was looking at like the titles, like the Reign of Terror, the first title. So if you're watching the end of Sense Rights, you'd see the next title would be A Land of Fear. Right. Or then after the first one, you have Guest of Madame Guillotine, which, you know, kind of suggests to me of a hammer horror type film. But is there really any 
anything that's a true horror program. Not really, though I'll have to say, having watched The Sensorites quite recently, it's super creepy, mm-hmm. you know, when they're bobbing around outside the spaceship. Uh, that cliffhanger um, to episode one is particularly yeah, good. particularly creepy. And then actually... The whole denouement of the show where it's just kind of abandoned astronaut is poisoning mm-hmm. everybody because he's gone crazy right. is kind of a horrible concept. Right. Um, the, it's the, uh, weirdly, again, it's the, his, the, uh, the history episodes, the Aztecs and, excuse me, Reign of Terror that are the least horrific. Right. When actually, because they involve, you know, people having their heads chopped off in the... Because you know, one of them is actually called the Reign of Terror. Mm-hmm. And the Aztecs is about people having, you know, essentially having their hearts cut out with obsidian knives. It's potentially more horror- horrific. Yeah. yeah, just look at the titles of the Aztecs. We have, like, the Temple of Evil, the Warriors of Death, the Bride of Sacrifice, the Day of Darkness. Yeah, I mean, these wow. are... These are That's horror titles, stuff. yeah, and they, yeah. you know, people watching that serial and then 1964 wouldn't have wouldn't have seen the Aztecs. They would have seen those each week, and and they sound great. Yeah, those are um, horror titles. <laughs> exactly, and I and I think let's, uh, I think I've, I've mentioned this before, but one of the most fabulous who experiences i've had in my short life is watching my then quite young children watching the keys of marinus Mm. um, and being absolutely gripped Mm -hmm. by the keys of marinus and again Mm -hmm. and i'm looking at wikipedia now if you read off the titles to the keys of marinus the sea of death the velvet web that's actually sounds more pervy than scary (laughs) um screaming jungle snows of terror sentence of death i mean ah that, that's fantastic it's right. got to be awesome why not you, yeah. know, you have horror elements in Keys and Marinus like with the word capturing Susan yep. or in the screaming jungle with the jungle statue reaching up and yep. capturing Barbara and there's you know there's other horrific elements within Marinus but Marinus is not a horror story no 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 so. interesting um, what do we think let's, let's, let's have a look at season 2 so we open up with Planet of the Giants, and we have a horror trope, right? You know, mon- you're dealing with monstrous insects, but yeah. is there really anything horrific in it? No, it's a, it's a John Wyndham-style, you know, kind of romp, basically. And again, you know, it's hard for me to think about these, these episodes in a kind of a, you know, a horror way. Right. But, um, I think definitely, uh, I think the rescue is... You know, apart from the fact that actually, oh, it's just it's like Scooby Doo and it's a man in a mask. Mm-hmm. Um, but, but it has it has but horror elements. Yeah, yeah, it is, and it is it is frightening. It is you know if if you if you imagine uh, Vicky's if you imagine her predicament as being real, you know, rather than being pretend. I mean, that's mm-hmm. pretty horrific. You know, she's kind of abandoned on a planet with a crazy monster that wants to go out with her a bit. I mean, she's also abandoned with this man. And yeah, if, exactly. If they were retelling that contemporary to us today, there would be more than a suggestion that this man was a sexual predator. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And the fact that, again, we find out that, you know, he's also the monster and is dressing up in a weird, weird mask. Exactly. You know, even more kind of predatory and that's right. so that's 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 kind of i mean i think definitely dalek dalek invasion of earth again you know bringing the daleks back home you know it follows on directly from planet of giants so we're kind of used to being home mm-hmm. um and bam you know it's this awful post-apocalyptic you know it's well it's it's not post it's it's basically was it's what london was like it's, after world war Two. right idealizing um, what yeah. what would have happened if the nazis truly had won the war yeah exactly exactly um, I mean, again, you know, I mean, I think, so I think, 
I'm, I'm trying having a hard time kind of pulling this all, all pulling this this all together mm-hmm. but um, we, well we kind of have the elephant in the room with the chase where they deliberately set it in kind of a 1930s horror film haunted house kind of a universal horror of Frankenstein's monster Dracula and right <laughs> the Do- Daleks being impotent against these this this haunted house monsters which yeah is yeah. bizarre which I think actually, I mean, I, I I would have to know more about how those un- famous Universal horror movies were shown in Britain. Um, mm-hmm. But certainly, my memories of those movies versus the Hammer movies, so the Universal horror, you know, 30s and 40s, right? Hammer movies, 50s, 60s, the 50s and 60s, right? Certainly, when I was a kid, those Universal horror movies were a joke. Hmm. I mean, no one was frightened by Frankenstein. Right, 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 right. You right. Know, and Boris Karloff, like, you know, Bela Lugosi, blah, blah. Mm-hmm. That's, just, that's just black and white nonsense. It's just literally not frightening. Right. What we were frightened by was Christopher Lee. As Dracula, um, right. As Dracula and also Christopher Lee as Frankenstein. Now, Christopher <laughs> Lee as, 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 as anything was frightening. Uh, so, again, I think it's interesting, you know, that the, the, the kind of horror movie that they put directly into the chase, it's universal monsters who mm-hmm. are basically not frightening and right. are made doubly not frightening by the fact that it's actually in a theme park rather right. than them being real. So I'm not sure we have really any true horror story in the first two seasons of Doctor Who. I do not think so. No, I don't. So I, don't I don't. I think possibly the first really horrific thing maybe that we have is the Varga plants in Mission to the Unknown where one thorn turns you kind of seeds of doom style into a varga plant yeah if we then you know look at dalek's master plan overall and again of course it's mm-hmm. hard to episode Dalek- one the nightmare begins <laughs> the nightmare, begins, the nightmare begins. it's hard to look at the dalek's master plan because of course you know we don't have the, we complete don't have the, right the complete episodes but mm-hmm. you know the destruction of time where we have people who age you know the time um the time destructors use mm-hmm. aging people to death right um, that's a lovely, horrific concept. Mm-hmm. And I, I mean, I don't think we're, we're going to get to see how that was realized on screen, um, but certainly uh, on the audio and, so, and reading, the, reading the books, mm-hmm. it sounds like that was pretty, that was pretty horrific. Mm-hmm. Well, the stills that they have of Gene Marsh aging and wasting away, it does look like it would be horrific. Yeah. It was directed by uh, Douglas Campfield, so... Good director. So it's quite possible that he would have made that horrific. Yeah. But the Dalek Master Plan is kind of like a redo of the chase, and again, it's not really a horror story. No, no, definitely not. Definitely not. Just skipping through the third series here, and it's just I'm not seeing anything that really suggests horror. We do have kind of concepts, you know, horror tropes, like in the War Machine with possession, where Dodo gets possessed. And the idea of machines taking over the world, which is something that we mentioned earlier that the writers were particularly, perhaps particularly concerned with. Concerned about, right. Yeah. I, mean, I might also throw in the Celestial Toymaker as well, where you have you know, games that you have to play, and if you don't... You die. If you don't, which again, I think that's a kid thing. You can mm-hmm. remember being a younger kid, and you, know, and you play a game, and you know, the penalty for, for not 
completed that game correctly is that you die obviously mm-hmm. you're just pretending so I mean that's you know and then you know the, the dolls and toys being you know threatening rather than comforting right. I think again but you know without actually seeing be able to see any really be able to see any episodes mm-hmm. from that um, you yeah, know we just have one to... that survives and it's it's not it's not scary right not that horrifying really no it's it's apparently quite racist, some of the episodes, yes. but, but maybe not well, actually frightening. Uh, unfortunately, that's a problem with much of early Who in some ways. So. Exactly, yeah. So, yeah. I mean, I guess the, the classic, to kind of close out the Hartnell era, the whole the invention of the Cybermen was for body horror, the, the fear of Kit Peddler mm-hmm. of what would happen if all parts of a human were replaced and all that was left was their brain. Yeah, and so we have the idea of the Cybermen and this concept of body horror, but I it just was not truly executed as a horror film in the Tenth Planet. No, and I think what's interesting again reading the quite extensive interview in a recent issue of Doctor Who magazine with the designer of the Cybermen for the Mm -hmm. Tenth Planet, a lot of the kind of body horror elements that I think you know people like Mark Gatiss. Um, talk about from the tenth planet were kind of almost by accident on that you know the fact that they have they have real right. human hands is because they couldn't work out a way to make their hands right. look robotic, etc. Um, I was interested to read actually that the um, the kind of fabric faces of the Cybermen was designed to evoke bandages, so surgical bandages, so, kind of like the mummy. <laughs> which actually, if they'd done it right, yeah, were kind of like the mummy. Would we would have been mm-hmm. kind of horrific directly? I actually think they're more horrific without that but i think that's really i think we're layering that on as fans rather than really reading what's on the screen right after the fact trying yeah, trying to fact, trying to yeah. make it into something more significant than perhaps it was they're certainly mm-hmm. creepy the cybermen in the in mm-hmm. the 10th planet because they're just so unusual um, i don't think anyone's really made a a villain or a monster in any kind of a media uh, a product quite as kind of off kilter than the Cybermen right. in the Tenth Planet, they they're genuinely like, what right. the hell is this? These things are really mm-hmm. pretty odd and alien. So I think one of the themes or one of the horror, horror elements that are going to start entering in in the later part of the '60s and, and kind of we see it with the War Machines and then again in the Moon Base is possession and mind control. Yeah, and the whole idea of brainwashing the subtlety of mind control and that started to manifest itself in the moon base but then i think it really took hold in the orwellian uh thriller of the macro terror -terror, where ben is brainwashed at night through the learning machines and he's just a little bit off and that i think really scares polly yeah that you know this is her friend and then you know what's happened to him yeah, and then of course we we then go straight into the faceless ones, which is again about body snatchers, you know, people not being not being the way that they are. But let me just rewind okay. very very quickly. I um, just off the back of um, the tenth mm-hmm. planet is um, the underwater menace. Um, the mm-hmm. idea that you know people are being surgically altered to be turned into fish is incredibly, if you again if you dig into it, a kind of sadomasochistic, mm-hmm. you know, kind of Doctor Moreau. Right activity mm-hmm. which is you know really pretty scary to be honest it is pretty horrific with that scene because it the way it is filmed it is focusing on polly's terror yes exactly and she's terrified that someone mm-hmm. is gonna you know they're gonna it's again it's the island mm-hmm. of dr moreau he's carving people up and turning mm-hmm. them into fish um which is horrible 
we'll, we'll see that concept of that trying to change humans into animals much later in Vengeance and Varus, which we won't touch on today. But, yeah, but yeah, yeah. you know, just jumping back to the Macra Terror, uh, that has yeah. some really truly horrific things. Now, we don't know a lot of, you know, visually nothing has survived other than a few censored clips, but we know the soundtrack with the heartbeat, you know, of the throbbing heartbeat. We, we see, you know, the nighttime running through ruins or constructions trying to evade the macra, the, you know, the psychological terror of that man, you know, the whole idea that macra do not exist. The, it's, it's the whole right, right. concept of brainwashing that seemed to be really uh, undercurrent of the 1960s almost. And yeah. and you get that, like you said, in the faceless ones with Polly being taken yeah. over and having to work as a, a airlines clerk. Yeah, chameleon airlines. Yeah, and I think you know, I think it's a. You know, again, if you you know watch you know James Bond or you know uh, uh, if Chris File or the Berlin Memorandum or any movie that, or TV show that you mm-hmm. care to watch from the kind of mid to late 60s the idea that people's personalities can be changed is kind of very very current mm-hmm. um, well you have the whole theme of the prisoner and and and, and danger Canada. man before before it of yep. the whole yep. concepts of mind control and what would happen but like you said in a yeah. manchurian candidate with a, a, yeah. a, someone who has been totally brainwashed exactly so. exactly yeah yeah so we open up season five with probably a hammer mummy film homage with uh tomb of the cybermen yeah yeah um but yeah no that's it's it's a hammer it's a hammer it's right. a tomb it's a cyberman you know, they're trapped in the tombs and <laughs> victoria gets trapped in effectively in a sarcophagus uh, with the cyberman re- rejuvenator yeah we have that kind of idea of cybermats with the creepy creepiness there and they are creepy yeah yeah um, yep. and and as mentioned earlier the foam gore and we have yeah we have gore in doctor who with the uh with foam and i think foam foam equates gore in doctor who it's monster gore yes what monsters the if the if the color of monsters is green the blood of monsters is definitely foam (laughs) Uh, so um but also i think with cybermen and i think you get this actually very strongly in the tomb of the cybermen you we do get there's a there's a terminator feel to them here which mm. i think comes across strongly uh, really strongly into this they are unstoppable is they get it's, it's, it's you, you're in a dream mm-hmm. someone is coming to get you and there's nothing you can do to escape them because whatever you do they will just get back up again and keep on you, you can lock them in a tomb they'll open the door right um you can spin them around they're gonna you know they will they will always prevail and i think that's that's a kind of you know that is a horror movie thing you know, you're being you're being pursued by something that isn't going to stop and isn't going to give up mm-hmm. um i think with abominable snowman i mean again we're right back with mind control again right um, um i think interestingly having talked about Hazeman and lincoln being you know particularly you know reactionary i think it's interesting you know that they're kind of co-opting tibetan buddhism to be reactionary in well what they're doing is you know the the Tibetan monks are pacifists, except for the, the the warrior monks. Exactly. And there's this argument or this uh, conflict going on of the the monks who want to fight and those who want to retreat. And the, what is the right response to? Right response to fight. Yeah. Right. And I and I think again, if we we're carrying on that theme, it's exactly the same with the ice warriors. You know, what is you know leader 
leader Clint is unable to to make a decision. Mm-hmm. He's able unable to make a right decision because he can only do what the computer tells him to do. Right. You know, he's a kind of machine man, and it's only the kind of real people, right. um, the Doctor and his companions, and the people who are you know in the wasteland who are able to actually make the decisions mm-hmm. that need to be made, which is we need to fight these things. So we're seeing a theme or of an increasing use of horror tropes and more getting rather than just kind of a literary horror suggesting using words for titles and whatnot as but as we get further into the Troughton era, yeah. we're seeing more and more horror tropes actually making it to the screen actually being used. Yeah. So just Web and spiders and seaweed and right well with the with the ice warriors of this in the in the ice caves just this lumbering monster that won't quit that's coming after you that's right 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 how are how are you going to stop this monster they're unstoppable they are literally unstoppable Mm -hmm. yeah so we have next up the web of fear and i think this might be a true horror story it's a, it's based under siege, but a bit mm-hmm. rather than a kind of you know a pleasant, expansive base mm-hmm. as we've had in the moon base or the the stately home in well we just in ice warriors just look at how the whole thing is constructed. We open it in Julius Silverstein's house. We have a, a stereotype of a Jew, uh, or a very possessive collector with right. his prized possession, the Yeti, and it comes back to life. And you have the spooky, spooky Bartok or strings, percussion and Celesta right, that right. really sets this horror theme. And then when the TARDIS team lands in the underground, they go up and they with the paper seller's corpse covered in cobwebs. Ugh, scary. We are getting horror. This is more horrific. This is using the tropes of a horror to set this stage. Right, right. We have a haunted house or we have a the old man the old manor to begin with with the Yeti coming back to life. We don't actually see the Yeti come back to life. We hear the window crash. And then we see the Yeti transform and then roar. And, you know, Silverstein's dead. And it's just just falling on the abominable snowman of that possession, that mind control, and just that fear of any one of us could be the traitor. Any one of us could be the traitor. And again, as I was saying, you know, we're in these incredibly confined, enclosed spaces. Right dark dingy tunnels like small rooms yeah the shadows um but also of course we're in somewhere that's very that's incredibly familiar certainly if you're Mm -hmm. living in london you know everyone travels on the underground and it's you know it's very so it's both you know so again you're using using that familiarity the you know the Mm -hmm. yeti on the lewin tooting beck right to create something that is that, that is horrible and i think it is exactly at this time that hammer starts to think about bringing Dracula to London, mm-hmm. modern day horror, right. and and starting to kind of jettison. Well, you kind know, of Dracula is nineteenth century, Frankenstein is seven is uh, is eighteenth century. Right. And starting to think, well, actually, you know, maybe we should be doing these things in a kind of contemporary mm-hmm. free London. We've isolated the companion with Victoria wandering alone in the underground tunnels, lost with with monsters in the tunnels that she may not be aware of. So yeah. as as a audience viewer, you know, you're you're kind of wondering and there's there's sounds and it's sort of like when her and Jamie are trying to hide 
going to hide and a bit of web brushes her forehead and she gasps and that's what has right. uh, St- Staff Sergeant Arnold find them. And just the whole idea of, once again, we have foam. Yep. Foam suggests gore. We have the foam. We have the fungus that's that pulsating, unstoppable foam that's going through the tunnels that, that can crush, demolish walls. Exactly. It's kind of, it's kind of amusing. Both in Web of Fear, and obviously Web of Fear is, is a show that I've only been able to see recently because it's only right, been recently right. recovered. But I think also, I think particularly um, with the um, the foam that we see in the next season with the uh, with the Ice Warriors. <laughs> seeds of Death. In, in, in Seeds of Death. <laughs> in book form, the writer is able to describe the web. The, you know, the, the, what takes over the London Underground is a web. Um, right. And one imagines like a pulsating web, and I actually right. imagined it very, very similarly to the pulsating web that I imagined was the animus in the web planet. And I, right. you know, and again, I, I, in my mind, there was an equivalence, and I think mm-hmm. that's been done in fan fan fiction as well. Equivalent equivalence between what was taking over the web planet and what was taking over the the the, the London Underground. I fortunately, when I actually got to see the Web of Fear, I've, I actually found it for many reasons that I've already talked about slightly disappointing. And one of those disappointments was that it's just foam again, mm-hmm. um, rather than what I was hoping, which was like web. But of course, it's <laughs> right. going to be web. But there you go. So, do you think the base under siege is a horror trope? I think being it, you know, it's. I mean, let's let's think of you know one of the most famous and celebrated horror movie is certainly one of the most influential on today's horror cinema which is night of the living dead um mm-hmm. released in 1968 there you go based under siege they're trapped right. in a house and they're zombies contemporary with season five yeah. exactly it's contemporary with season five i've no idea how and when night of the living dead was released in the uk <laughs> and i'm pretty certain that <laughs> mervyn hazeman and henry lincoln were not queuing up outside their local Odeon to watch no. it given the their reactionary natures but still this was something in the air the base under siege right well this right this whole idea of zombies you know and that's effectively what uh mind control mm-hmm. mind control will do is you know zombify put them under control of something else someone yeah. else i think one can make too much of kind of something in the air in the late 60s i mean i think the base in under, under siege is essentially you know it's the haunted house like you're right. trapped inside a house mm-hmm. and there's something in there with you or there's something outside whether it be you know a, some kind of unnameable lovecraftian horror from hp lovecraft or whether mm-hmm. it's the alien from alien it's, of course, Alien, a lot later, 1979, is, and again, a haunted house film because right. there's a ghost in the house, it's out to get them. You know, it's mm-hmm. a pretty standard thing that's frightening. You know, you're mm-hmm. trapped somewhere and you can't get out. So... Yeah, base under siege. So, yeah, base under siege. Yeah. So, and we get another base under siege with foam, <laughs> Fury from the Deep. <laughs> Which has, uh, for interesting reasons, has a reputation of being one of the very most scariest of all the 60s Who's. Well, we have a lot of the elements of things in the in the nineteen sixties that make it scary. So we have absolutely we have foam. Mm-hmm. The, we have the heartbeat sound effects. Right. We have possession with uh, uh, Maggie walking in out into the sea with Robson. Yeah. Just the just kind of the horror of Mr. Oaks and Mr. Quill. Um, They're pretty horrific looking. Right. Opening their mouth with their gas. Yeah. When we hear the seaweed in the pipes, it's a heartbeat sound. And just we're, we're, we're dealing with the suggestion of what could this 
seaweed bee that's putting mind control effectively on these people yeah. to cause you know what what is the seaweeds what, what is what is the end game we don't we don't really yeah. understand yeah. what what the seaweed wants or what's going on all we find out is it reacts to noise it's kind of mindlessly malevolent i mean i think one w- one could say that the reason why everyone says this is so scary is the only people who ever who watched it were kids mm-hmm. um so the only people who were reporting on its scariness to us are people who were children when they saw it and right. obviously were really frightened by it mm-hmm. um but i think you're right it does have a succession of and i, I think it's the mindlessness of the seaweed that would that would concern me the most it doesn't really seem to have a plan right. other than just to be horrible and certainly some of the behind the scenes color clips um that one scene of the show it is actually kind of effective the way it kind of flails right. within the foam is actually mm-hmm. very intimidating and i think it's possibly also one of the first who's to kind of fully start to evoke um the quatermass serials of the 1950s and i think but i think i'm thinking particularly of quatermass 2 um which is you know, set which has a base in under siege element it's set in a you know well the denouement is set in an industrial facility with pipes and things right. coming out of pipes and all that kind of mm-hmm. stuff and i think you know this is this is i think really when who starts to to fully cannibalize uh fully adult scary things and of course quatermass as a TV series, I mean, primarily known, I think, in the in the United States as a as a film series, right. uh, uh, again a Hammer, a Hammer, a Hammer film series, but as a TV series, the nineteen fifties uh, had the entire nation in just kind of fits of terror. Mm-hmm. As far as I understand, I I wasn't there obviously, right. but um, that's what I'm told. With Base Under Siege, we're just kind of seeing horror take over Doctor Who because the formula yeah. works really well. Mm-hmm. In a, in a weekly serial where you need that cliffhanger, where you need the monsters getting closer or the threat is becoming more menacing to keep people returning. Yeah. And yeah. We're, we're moving away from educational bent of the earlier 60s with the historicals to more purely tea time entertainment on a Saturday afternoon. Yeah, it's yeah. less less uh, moralistic, less educational, more horrific, more entertainment. Yeah, no, absolutely. Yeah. I think I think that's right. Um, as we come into season six, though, it's more of a thrill season, really. A little less horror. I'd be hard pressed. To, I mean, I think there are horrific moments. I mean, right. I think the sheer dislocation, and this is entirely by accident because they had to do it for budgetary reasons, but the sheer dislocation of episode one of The Mind Robber, mm-hmm. you know, is very The Prisoner and just very 1960s and right. very disturbing. Uh, I think the kind of nuclear wasteland aspect of The Dominators potentially quite disturbing. Mm-hmm. But I think the rest of the season is more adventure really that we have the seeds of death it'd be the only thing i think that'd be close to horror and it doesn't i'm 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 not seeing it yeah but of course i mean we are getting a huge amount of brainwashing right we get brainwashing in protons quasi brainwashing the dominators i mean i think i find that you know that they're they're kind of brainwashed but yes certainly in the crotons certainly in the war games Mm -hmm. you know everyone's brainwashed Mm -hmm. in the war games and the the kind of the central 
command module or the central place where the war uh, the warlords base themselves is an incredibly kind of 1960s trippy right. evil villain HQ and it, it, it even has actors from you know James Bond uh, right. evil villain HQs in it you know Hulk and Dicks are playing with horror tropes but they're not using them in a horrific way no that's yes yeah I think fair enough yeah yeah so of the 1960s serial I suggest the only true horror story that we have is the web of fear and I think the whole concept of base under siege is a horror trope of the kind of the zombie Day of the Dead type uh, yeah, films. Yeah. But for for the series as a whole, for Doctor Who in the 60s as a whole, I don't think we really see a lot of horror early on. We see horror tropes being introduced, but yeah, but not from, full on, not full on horror stories. Yeah, I think aside from the web of fear, I don't see any yeah. horror shows. Yeah, no, I think I think I'd I'd be willing to pretty much agree with that. Yeah, I'd be. I mean, I'm again, I'm slightly spoiled by that because I really don't find the web web of fear horrific at all. Right. But that's because you know I've come to it much too late in life, mm-hmm. as we all have. Would it have been a horror story for the kids watching it in 1960? And I think it was. And I think again, I think if we think about the uh, the famous audio from the trailer where Patrick Trown exhorts the children, if your mummy and daddy find this <laughs> scary, hold their hands, or however he says it, I think it was very much written, and it was certainly presented as something that was going to be, you know, the scariest that who had ever got. And I think they, I think they, I think they do a reasonably good job. With so that. yeah, yeah, definitely horror for the 1968 children. So yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. The children of 1968, when I would have been a fabulous two years old, so sadly <laughs> I didn't get to see it. Yeah. Oh, it wow. might have been on, but you have no memory of it. <laughs> I know my parents watched it, but I'm, I, I very much doubt my, certainly my mother would be able to remember back to the one with the yetis. <laughs> the one with the yetis. Oh, well, oh, should we call we it a wrap, wrap it here? All okay, right. well... Um, all right, you've been listening to episode 15 of in the Black and White 2 in beautiful, glorious black and white. Black and white um, with, uh, with me, Ben. And David. Have a good evening. Have a great evening.
Thank you for listening to the Metabilis 2 podcast. You can reach us with email at metabilis2, that's a number two, at gmail.com or on Twitter at metabilis2. And again, that's a number two. Hope to hear from you. Bye.